The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Tired of diesel buses? Want more cycle lanes or bus lanes? Which projects do you want Auckland Transport to work on first? They need your opinion. So head to haveyoursay.at.govt.nz forward slash RLTP to do just that. Consultation closes on 17 June. Get in quick. Last gone by lunchtime of the year 2018 with um, many, very, many, very, many merry thank yous to Flick who have um, come on board as the sponsor of the politics section and we love them dearly and uh, strongly encourage you to go to any post in the politics section, have a click on the Flick ad and look at the deal they can offer you. Speaking of deals, um, Ben Thomas, what a deal you have for us today. Quite a big deal. Um, you have <laughs> passed your restricted license. Yeah. Round of applause in the pod. Also from Tina Tiller over there, who I should say thank you to. In tender middle age, I, I smoked the asses of all the 16 and 17 year olds sitting mm. the same restricted license test um, mm-hmm. today. Um, a dwindling number, a dying breed, adult non-drivers, you know. Now, now that now that I've now that I've flown the coupe, mm. now that I've driven off mm. at high speed, but, mm. but within like a safe road to road speed, um, who are some other Steve Brawnius mm. was an adult non-driver. Has he, he done that? Did he, he pass really? his test? Yeah, he wrote a piece for the Herald about learning yes. to drive via Shane Carter of Dimmer yes. and straight jacket fits. So Steve Steve Brawnius has definitely driven. We driven a car. We don't know whether he can drive yet. Um, mm. Uh, Martin Bomber Bradbury, another adult non-driver. Oh, shout out to Martin my, Bomber Bradbury. My good friend Wallace Chapman. Yeah, James Wallace Chapman can't. He's, a, he's, a, he's he's New Zealand's most famed and beloved adult non-driver. Um, most beautiful non-driver, Carol Hirschfeld. Carol Hirschfeld. Carol Hirschfeld. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, who's the other one? Um, the other prominent one. Hmm. Oh, uh, James Shaw, of course, from the Greens. James he Shaw. He was an adult non-driver until recently. I think he learned to drive during the election year. Wow. And I've heard, I've heard from, you know, Green volunteers who were sort of charged with kind of driving him around, mm. you know, on the campaign trail. Mm. So, you mean cycling him around, but, like doubling for... Yeah, and it's sad. I'll, I'll, no. I'll, 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 I'll miss all of my adult non-driver friends. We used to catch up on the bus. <laughs> 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 That's literally true. The last time I saw Wallace Chapman, we were on the bus together and talking talking about our plans to escape the Link bus route. <laughs> it's not illegal to catch the bus when you have a driver's license. I should point out. Look, I've 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 got a lot of emissions in the bank. There was I've, that, I've earned this. There was you that. Have. What's that apocryphal Margaret Thatcher quote? Do you know the one? No. Um, a man who is over the age of twenty five and catching the bus. Should be ashamed of himself. It's not that. Please let us know, listeners, what it is, in fact. And it's apocryphal anyway. How are you, Annabelle? I'm good. Excited to be here for our third and final podcast of the year. Hey, we've done them quite regularly. Have we? That's that's libelous. We, we, we did a fourth done... one without you, when Jamie Lee Ross was... <laughs> there you go, sorry. The, the, it's, it's definitely <laughs> quarterly on average. Uh, it's that's not fair and not true. It's been entirely regular, and uh, for this final podcast of the year, we um, 
are going to address all the pressing issues that I can't read my own handwriting. Um, Trevor Mallard, let's start with him. He is under pressure this week from a range of quarters. There was a column by Audrey Young, the New Zealand Herald political editor, in which she, right off the bat, said he has inbuilt bias, I think words to that effect, but this followed a walkout in the House in question time after... Um, what, did, what, did, what did Simon Bridges, leader of the National Party, say? Here comes the protection. Here comes the protection. That's yeah, right. So he, he had accused Jacinda Ardern, who was being a bit evasive with, or he felt was being a bit evasive with mm. her answers over the Carol Strubeck affair. Mm. Um, he accused her of ducking and diving. Trevor Mallard, the speaker, got to his feet to make some kind of ruling mm. or comment, and Bridges muttered under his breath or sort of said, here comes the protection, mm. which is not, you can't say that. You, you can't say that the Speaker is taking sides. Mm. Trevor Mallard is clearly taking sides. Trevor Mallard does have a soft spot for Jacinda Ardern. He's got, and now I guess, the, I mean, we could be held in contempt of Parliament for this, but it, it, <laughs> it, it, it is true mm. that there, there, are, there are a lot of people in New Zealand's political left who have a, an almost paternalistic kind of uh, kind of regard for the prime minister's safety, which is unnecessary because she's by far the strongest performer they've had in that Labour Party leadership role for a long time, definitely since Helen Clark. Um, but there is there is this tendency, I think, for many of them to sort of rush to her defence, um, which again she doesn't need. Um, and I think what you see. You know, with good speakers of the House, Lockwood Smith was one uh, under the previous national government. It tends to be if they feel a bit of a sense of aggrievement towards their party leader, who's the prime minister. You know, Lockwood Smith didn't get the uh, cabinet position he wanted and said probably he felt got shunted off into being the speaker. Mm. Um and, and so he didn't have this kind of same regard for John Key's well-being in the House. Mm -hmm. And he was actually, he was quite strict. He was quite down the line. If Trevor Mallard had been the speaker under a you know entirely hypothetical Andrew Little, David Shearer, David Cunliffe, prime, you know administration, I think he would have been a much better speaker because he wouldn't have felt you know that that kind of personal. Um, Is he being paternalistic? Is that what you're sort of suggesting? Molly coddling, Molly coddling. Annabelle? Well, to be fair, my understanding is, wasn't it like the 12th supplementary question? So I don't know if it was necessarily about protecting her, but more like out of frustration that they just kept going and going and going and going and going down that line of questioning. Well, no, that was I, my understanding, I, I, that I, I, it I, wasn't I, like the first question he got up and asked. It was like the end of a long line of supplementaries and Mallard lost his rag. I saw some commentary on Twitter to that effect. And there, there is this strange narrative that's developing amongst some people that, you know, the, the opposition are kind of getting a bit above their station by questioning the government. Um, and, you know, oh, the 12th supplementary. Well, if you don't have answers, you'll probably need to ask a 13th. I mean, that's why we have question time. That's why you have supplementaries, because you get these primary questions, which are on notice. The government gets them at 10 a.m. They have four hours to draft their answers, which cleverly avoid admitting any fault or guilt or giving away any information that they don't want to. Um, and then the opposition has to weasel out the real answers with supplementaries and by getting the ministers to think on their feet. Now, if you're putting in yourself in a position where you're getting a 12th supplementary because you, it's, it, it doesn't seem like you've answered the question there and you haven't shut down that line of attack, 
you know, it's not the speaker's role to then step in and say, whoa, that's enough. Well, it would depend on the question, wasn't it? So what was the question, Ben? It's all just something about, it's something it's about ducking yeah. and diving, wasn't it? It's all, it's all that. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's, I mean, it's one of those it, was it a question when. that was asked in order to seek new information that had been unavailable up to that point, or was it more just like but, but that's, that's banging on about something that I, perhaps? I, I, I mean, you know, questions can be either in order or out of order. So if they're not relevant, if they're not based in fact, um, the speaker can rule them out of order. He didn't rule Bridges's question out of order. Um, when when Bridges then accused the Prime Minister of ducking and diving, which, you know, could be a line ball call, um, you know, th- then he sort of got to his feet, and that's when Bridges made the really offending remark. But it's not, it's not right to say that the opposition is overstepping the mark by continuing to ask the government questions if it hasn't got answers um, and that doesn't matter who's in opposition or who's in government and we see this again with you know these written parliamentary questions now I wrote a pretty critical article on the spin-off last year you know about the 6,000 written questions that National mm. lodged because I don't think it's a good use of anyone's time to just spam up the system on the other hand Claire Curran resigned because she lied in those answers to written questions now and and I've seen this commentary develop that actually lied National is just, probably overstating yeah, it, but um, anyway, yeah, there was she omitted answers, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, honest opinion, like <laughs> no, um, the but but this idea that by continuing to ask questions, National are just being pests or nuisances. Well, they've already exposed a couple of ministers that way, and you know, again, I actually think this comes down to paternalism. The Prime Minister has to answer questions. In in the UK, the Prime Minister doesn't have any questions on notice, and they do two hours on their feet um, ju- just you know, answering any question about anything to do with the government. It's not asking too much of the government to uh, answer questions. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's absolutely the opposition's job to ask important and pertinent questions. Um, I just find it deeply ironic when national... Um, were so um, dismissive of the media when we sought questions and when we would lodge OIAs. So in my mind, um, you know, there's a level of hypocrisy there that's pretty hard to stomach. Um, still on Trevor Mallard. Uh, By the way, Paula Bennett, you're still welcome to come on the hooey <laughs> next year, season three, <laughs> fingers crossed. You're still, still holding former ministers to account. Um, I mean, one of, one, one <laughs> invitations of, are open. One one of the reasons that Mallard is viewed so negatively by the National Party is this new system that he brought in at the beginning of the Parliament, which I I believe had all the best of intentions behind mm. it, which was that you know if if the government behaves badly and doesn't answer a question or acts rudely, he will give the opposition more supplementary questions to ask, and if the opposition behaves badly in the House. Uh, trifles with the House, he'll take away their supplementary questions. And he says that over time, it about evens out. Um, But it does have a much more negative effect on the opposition because, you know, you craft your question line in advance to get to those answers that you want. So having questions taken away from you is Mm. much more of a harm Mm. than it is a benefit to get a couple more supplementary questions. And so 
National see that this is it, it's not so much that it's applied unfair, uh, you know, unevenly, it's that it's applied seemingly arbitrarily. Mm. Sometimes the speaker will take away six supplementary questions, but then he'll, you know, almost he'll almost seem ridden by guilt and then he'll give back six supplementary mm. questions three questions mm. later. Mm. And this, this is sort of like going into an exam, being told you've got yeah. three hours, then at the halfway mark, you get told actually it's stopping in half an hour, so then you start scribbling your answers yeah. and then they say, I actually will give you another hour. And so it really messes with your planning mm. and, and isn't conducive. Um, to and the whole thing time. just yeah. has the vibe of a parent daring, dealing with a couple of unruly children talking about pocket money. You know, I'll give you more pocket money. I'm taking mm. some pocket money. Oh, I'm going to put it back on. In the end, it just kind of loses all. It just sort of seems a bit uh, random and, 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 and all over the shop to me after mm. a while. Loses the manner of the role, doesn't it? Diminishes so. the manner of the... Bring back Lockwood Smith. Bring back Lockwood Smith. He was, he was great. I, I mean, he, he was at his best a real thorn in the side of Key and, and his ministers because he demanded that questions be answered rather than Not be addressed, addressed <laughs> which yeah. is what it went back to under Carter. Um, and and he was he was brilliant. I think um, the other point about the other the other reason that Mallard has been in the news is because he has commissioned an independent inquiry into bullying and harassment uh, in Parliament, uh, which has um, had a lot of people raising their eyebrows at um, some of the more kind of pugilistic tendencies of Trevor Mallard himself over the years in Parliament, um, but also immediately had some news currency in the form of former staffers going to the New Zealand, New Zealand Herald, I think, initially, about the um, leadership uh, approach of um, leading New Zealand celebrity gardener Ma- Maggie Barry. Mega. Maggie Barry. And, um, yeah, what do you make of all that? Maga is just trying to make Aotearoa great again, and mm. everybody just needs to get on board. All right. I hadn't seen MAG. Like, like, suck it wow. up. Wow, incredible. Um, she, it's a tricky one, isn't it, Ben, because, um, to be honest, I think it would be horrible working for Maggie Barry, when I, the sort of general, <laughs> but in terms of the specifics of it, you kind of think, like, for example, she was trash talking um, uh, crumpet of afternoon radio, Jesse Mulligan. And, like, of course, they're all going to trash talk people like us, right? And of course, that's part of it, it, some of it. I kind of, it's hard to pin down into terms of exactly what it, the allegations are. Don't it, it? It's very hard to describe bullying accurately. A lot of the time, you know, in, in literal yes. terms, yes. you know, it's difficult to describe the atmosphere, you know, the feelings involved, you know, at the time. Um, and I think that's right. You know, a lot of the detail that came out with more secret tapes was actually just banal stuff. You know, a minister bitching to her staff member about some negative <coughs> media coverage is not a news story. It's not a scandal. Um, you know, she, she referred to one staffer as... You know, she said, you've got to shave off that 70s moustache and then then said to a room full of superannuants, you can collect your brochures off the man dressed like the great Gatsby at the back of the room. And I mean, I I, I have to admit, when I read that, I thought it was pretty funny. I, you know, I was but like, Maggie Barry's But exactly, a good like a, a, um, 
a oh. person with a good sense of humour that you respect. And, and it's it, fine. But it's a very different. Yeah, you... It's absolutely different. I, I completely disagree with you, Ben. Like it might seem funny when you're reading about it in the paper, but if you're someone who's being routinely humiliated by someone in a position in pow- of power in front of your, your workmates, it's not okay. I've, I've worked in environments where there's been awful workplace bullying going on and I really um, dislike the way it's couched as oh you know I don't know like Uh is it really bullying you know it's a uh, you know, a tough environment and la la la. It's actually workplace bullying is very easy to define, and I think um, I think anything that uh, any investigation into workplace bullying in any workplace has got to be a good thing. Yeah, look, I I don't disagree with that. I think you know what what I mean is it's hard to read words on the page and then conclude from those that there was there was bullying, and that's why you know part of the problem here is that I think those those claims weren't looked at as bullying because parliament has these breakdown of relationship clauses which are basically mm. a no fault sort of um no no personal grievance you get a you get a payout which is reasonably significant con- compared to private sector redundancies and it's sort of a no fault we just agree to part ways mm. and so it does it does become quite diff- you know parliamentary services if unless they're forced to won't look into was this just a case of incompatibility or was this a case of bullying mm. most of the time they'll just say let's just agree to part ways, you know, amicably or at least not hostilely. Where there has been, you know, for instance, one of the, one of the staffers hasn't spoken, um, and that was apparently, you know, where there was a bullying allegation. Now, maybe that means there was a settlement. Mm. You know, we don't know. Um, and, you know, in terms of the wider thing, I, you know, I think that's a good point that you brought up, you know, in terms of, you know, the claims Parliament's a robust environment. It it is a it is a very different environment from other other workplaces, in the sense that you know you're not responsible to shareholders or the constitution of the company or the CEO. You're responsible to the people of New Zealand. So if Maggie Barry, if any MP is a workplace bully, you can't fire them for that, right? The only people who can fire them are the people of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Now, there's been a couple of suggestions about how you could kind of try and improve their, improve the behaviour because a lot of it's not even bullying. A lot of it is just that a lot of MPs and ministers aren't great bosses, you know, and they're, they're bad at managing people. They're, um, and, and and so some of, some of the ideas that have been floated are make all the MPs responsible for their own staffing budgets. So if they, if they start getting personal grievances, they just run out of money and they can't afford to hire more staff. Um, I don't know if that's the solution, but... I think one of the things that makes Parliament unique too is bullying is actually um, valued and and celebrated. So, you know, when you have someone that can go in and rip... Um, you know, rip the other party to shreds and, you know, getting scalps and all of that. It's something mm. that we talk about a lot. Like, actually being a bully is considered a good thing. And um, and I do think that parliamentary services needs to... Um, needs to do a better job because we've talked a lot in the past about, you know, rumours that we've heard different... Um, MPs and ministers who treat their staff poorly and it's just not okay we shouldn't accept it we shouldn't accept that um, that it's okay and that it's good enough yeah I, I think that's absolutely true and I, I do 
think though that sometimes it overshoots a little so you know allegations that maggie barry yelled or sweared you know swore or called someone a bad name behind their back you know in a private conversation i mean it, it is this high stress environment and i think you find any in any environment which is high stress you know newsrooms um you know, the police, hospitals, you know, people do develop... Driving know, some, instructors. Yeah, so <laughs> sometimes people develop, you know, darker senses of humour or they let off steam. And 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 so, you know, we, we can't be quite as, you know, it's not, it's not quite the same as McDonald's where, you know, if you're kind of swearing and yelling by by definition, you know, there's bullying taking place. And and that does make it hard, you know, to do a, a big overview. Um, the other part of that, story that was interesting is the where the information's coming from um and there was for example whether we don't we don't know the provenance precisely of the maggie barry staffer material but there was a leak of the talking points among other things that um, ministers had been or sorry sorry um, members of the national caucus had been provided with in responding to bullying allegations and it does each one of those adds to the sense that perhaps there isn't the sweetness and light in the National Party post-Jamie Lee Ross that we were encouraged to believe. The National Party is leaking more than all the homes built in Auckland in the 90s. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. You cannot say that you, like that email that got sent out, you know, giving um, MPs lines that they can use and talking about the strong National Party culture. The National Party culture is absolutely strong and the culture is leak. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, that, that's right. Because the, there's nothing sensational about what was in that document. You know, those talking points, mm. you know, on each no, on any no, issue no. of the no. day get sent around, you know, four or five times a day or something. Um, and, you know, it probably would have been quite controversial if, you know, the lines had been, you know, there had been an instruction, don't under any circumstances tell the media about all the bullying. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't let them know about the bullying. Yeah, like in italics, you know, not for publication. <laughs> the incident. Like, we are working on the, the bullying. The great incident. Yeah. Um, it, but, yeah, but that, that's right. The, the, the mere fact that things are just flowing out now, is it's, it's a bad sign for them. Um, Squirting. With... with <laughs> They're not leaking. They're squirting. Mm. <laughs> the the overexcited National Party caucus is squirting. Just, um, yeah, and, and look, whether it's a concerted camp, I mean, Barry Soper had an interesting column in, um, I think it was his radio thing, but put on the Herald website, uh, talking about you know how they're getting anonymous texts from people claiming to be MPs, giving them all sorts of details, not oh just leaked documents. So. Oh if that's the case, I mean, look, it does look like there's a concerted effort by at least one person to undermine Simon Bridges. Now, I wouldn't have thought that the Jamie Lee Ross saga was the best template for anyone to use to um, undermine their leader. But, um, yeah, look, the, the, these, you know, it only takes one person um, to to really derail a party. Well, we also does it know- then mean that... that- Jamie might have been telling the truth when he said that he wasn't the original leaker? Mm. Squirter. I mean, Squirter. It, it, look, Squirter. It, 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 it may mean that, you know, they forgot to take Jamie Lee Ross at Parliament <laughs> off the mailing list. Well, they <laughs> did. I mean, with Jamie Lee Ross's... It can be hard to manage those Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> Jamie Lee Ross's voice recordings and now the, secret, the Maggie Barry secret recordings, we can um, congratulate the National Party on their embrace of radical transparency 
in politics. They should all just wear body cameras. (laughs) (laughs) Or walk around with GoPros (laughs) poking out the top of their heads. (laughs) Hi, what were you going to tell me about the secret briefing? Um, Ian Lee's Galloway sort of ended up after the longer than three weeks promised with the review of uh, his decision. The ruling on, you pronounced beautifully, um, the Czech kicks po- boxer's name. Would you like to do it again? Carol Strubeck? Strubeck. Strubeck. Is that right? Str- is it a- I've, been, I've, I've just read it in newspapers. I probably, I'm probably saying it totally wrong. You like, make it sound delicious. Like, like homeschool kids who read Russian novels and mm. then try and use the words in conversation. Mm. Mm. Um you just said, Annabelle, I'd just like to say that you said that he made it sound delicious. Yeah, like a, <laughs> like a biscuity pastry uh-huh. with like jammy kind of. Right. A sort of, sort of a flaky sort yes, of number with a little bit of. very buttery and mm, flaky oh, light. And that you get from a kind of very high-end deli. Yes. You have like to drive across town to get yourself a Carol Strubeck. Half dozen, please. Um, Ian Lee's Galloway made the case that while he ma- did have some regrets, I think, did he have some regrets? Or at least he's, he had apologised to the Prime Minister and perhaps he might have asked more questions, I think was the way he framed it. Um, but he hadn't used Google as much as Simon Bridges would have liked him to. And essentially there was a, there were, there was a, the information, some of the crucial information about Interpol knowing about Karl Strobeck's past um, and his criminal record in Czech Republic was sort of there, but not in the right place in the report. And he's, shape- blah, 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 blah. he's shaping up to be as flaky as the oh. aforementioned oh. pastry, really, oh. isn't he? Oh. Nice. I'll have, <laughs> no. a, I'll have an Ian Lee's Galloway. <laughs> yeah. We don't sell them anymore. <laughs> the um, I, look, I ultimately I think he had a reasonable explanation for it, which was he wasn't asked to make. Um, he, he, he wasn't asked to make a decision about the previous convictions mm. in, in the Czech Republic. You know, he, he wasn't, you know, the, the officials didn't alert him to the fact mm. that that could mean mm. Strubeck gets out of the country. He was asked about the most recent conviction. He took into account the other stuff. Mm. It's, it's a new minister problem. You know, once he's been in for a few years, you'd expect that he was sort of asking more critical questions. He was, you know, things would raise red flags. But, in this case, you know, and there was a process issue, which is, you know, the detail about him, Strubeck, returning to um, the Czech Republic was not yes. in the file because that was in a case where he got off he was discharged. Yep. Yeah. So that that seems like an actual process issue um, where the officials probably could have cast their net wider. Um, I mean, look, it's untidy. It, it, it does give him a bit of, you know, feet of clay um, rep for a while, but... Overall, you know, he's got important work to do for the government. He's their workplace um, relations minister. They've got, you know, reforms that are very key to their union bases going through there. Um, he really is, you know, bizarre as it may seem, given the, you know, the, the aftermath of the Strubeck stuff. He's one of the more competent ministers in this cabinet. If they, you know, when, the, when, 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 when Claire Curran left, the, av- the average competence of the cabinet went up. If Lee's Galloway left, it would go down. And that's the real reason that, you know, he's not going anywhere. The thing is that it just plays so beautifully into National's narrative about Labour, which is that, you know, they're going to be a bunch of soft touches that will let criminals run rife and do like a half-assed flaky Mm. job. And he's just, Mm. uh, uh, this whole situation epitomises that narrative 
perfectly and it's the gift that keeps on giving because every you know every week or two there's something else that that crops up so if he's like one of the best performers they've got then um they're gonna have an interesting <laughs> they're gonna have an interesting term aren't they he feels like he's on a kind of i mean last warning might be overstating it but the the, the fact that, that he said he had apologized to the prime minister and that had been accepted felt kind of pointed to me in a way because he didn't he was sort of trying to say no, i didn't really do anything wrong but i could have done more and I've apologised to the Prime Minister because she was left for a while there doing all that read-between-the-lines yeah. stuff and kind of trying very hard to answer questions that were, she didn't necessarily but, have the answers to. Yeah, and ultimately the only test of whether, you know, the, you can't take a personal grievance if you're sacked as a minister. Ultimately the only question is, does the Prime Minister have confidence in you? And they can lose confidence in you for a couple of reasons. One is that you're doing a terrible job. But the, the main reason a Prime Minister loses confidence in you is you make them look stupid. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I think it was yeah. very important that he sort of made those amends uh, yeah. to the PM. Yeah. Uh, Annabelle Lee has an important uh, function to attend, so we're going to raz <laughs> through the rest of it. Um, uh, should, we, should we talk really quickly about Whanau Order? The um, latest story there is that one of the agencies that was doing some work for them ended up with a surplus, and they went, that's nice, we'll keep that. Is that what happened? Yeah, $600,000. They paid it out as a dividend to their private shareholder, which is NUMA, which was a an organisation, you know, National Urban Māori Authority. Mm. That Closely um, aligned with Willie Jackson, Willie Jackson the Minister and, of Employment. and John Tamihere and the, the whānau order provider or agency was Te Pau Matakana, which was associated with Tariana Turia, her son is also a board member on it, and CEO is yeah, John Tamihere, CEO is Meripekaro Kawatate. It's a terrible look. You cannot be thumping your chest day in, day out, saying that whānau order is being underfunded while pulling a $600,000 profit. It's just not... Just not a good look. And this, at I mean, all. I mean, I assume that Winston Peters must have been all over this. He would have. He he loves stories about Fanoora, um appearance of dodginess. Oh, I'm sure he would have hammering the government on this one. Was he? he? I didn't see. Was he hammering <laughs> them? <laughs> they appeared before the um, Maori Affairs Select Committee yesterday, um, and it came up alongside with a massive five million dollar underspend at TPK. I haven't seen what Cordell Winston has to say about it yet. Mm. But um, there was an interview with, um, by the excellent Mikey Sherman last night speaking to Penny Henari about um, mm. how he's going to call them to task, whether or not he actually does. Um, you know, who knows? But um, certainly it, um, it, it diminishes their mana in terms of calling for more, for more funding for Vote Māori and for, um, and for whānau order when, um, when taxpayer money can be used it can be paid out as a $600,000 profit. Because Whanau Order does have this slightly odd structure, which is that the, the government, through Te Puni Kōkiri, gives money to these three commissioning agencies, which are not government organisations. And then those three commissioning agencies, you know, contract the actual Whanau Order providers, mm. you know, on a case-by-case, programme-by-programme basis. And, you know, I would have thought, you know, at a programme-by-programme basis it's probably fine for a provider to say, we'll get this many kids immunised, we'll help this many people into homes, we'll, you know, and then they can keep whatever's left over as long as they're delivering on that, you know, that creates efficiencies, you know, standard kind of free market sort of stuff. Um, 
the position of the commissioning agencies is it is a little less clear you know mm. should they be paying a dividend should they be keeping any of the money that over the top or is their responsibility just to spend this budget mm. you know and get 600 grand worth of more services from a, you know another program yeah. and i think it's less clear cut and and well, you Michelle Hippolyte said that so long as they um complete the requirements and that will deliver the requirements of your contract they're free to do what they want with any yeah and with it and with a normal contractor i think that's probably a defensible position mm. and it's a little i think it's a little less clear with these commissioning agencies because they I do agree. have this strange quasi but not quite government role oh, and i think you know yeah it, comes back to why they were set up why it was set up that way in the first place and you know the criticism has been made that it was about um, you know um, creating a a enterprise for the Maori elite so let's um, before you scarpa Annabelle let's do the thing that um, with the only people with this really original idea of um, saying who the political winners of the year are. Oh, shit, what a good idea. Yeah, thanks. Um, cool. This, uh, is, this, is the one, this is the determinative <laughs> one. Um, I'm going to go, go first, just because I don't know if you guys have thought of, thought of yours, yours as yet, and do something which isn't, isn't spectacularly original, but um, to say that um, Andrew Little has had a kind of pretty amazing year with this massive bag of um, portfolios, Pike River being one of them, the having set in motion the criminal justice review. Um, he's also got treaty negotiations. I guess we have to wait and see whether or not that, like whether how he's getting on with Ngapui and stuff. Annabelle's making a very unimpressed face. Mm. Um, but uh, it's just an interesting kind of story as well, given what happened to him in the immediate run-up to the election, having, you could sort of have forgiven him for wanting to go and hide somewhere for a year and just sort of get his bearings back. But he um, has been certainly probably the busiest, I would say, um, one of the very busiest cabinet ministers. Who wants to go next? Speaking of treaty settlements, I'd like to acknowledge Chris Finlayson mm. um, for his amazing mahi um, in the treaty settlement space. Um, I know that um, people with the Ngāpuhi really miss... Um, his input and his nuanced understanding of Te Ao Māori um, and the work that um, OTS did to I understand there's been you know a bit of a changing of the guards there. Um, so I'd like to mahi to him. He also um, was the was the um, the lawyer for my Iwi's treaty settlement, and even though um, not you know there was disagree the disagreements over it at the time, Ngai Tahu. Um, you know, he did a pretty stellar job over there, so I'd like to mahi him. In terms of the opposition, can I shout out to my cousin, Nook Korako? I actually think that he's been doing um, a really good job keeping the um, Labour's Māori holding Māori, Labour's Māori caucus to account, um, asking good questions and challenging. Um, but I think the stellar performer in terms of New Zealand politics this year has to be Neve. <laughs> No one's done more than Neve. No one has done more than Neve. Mm -hmm. It's fair. It's a fair point. I mean, she she she's been ducking and diving on the Carol Strubeck bit, hasn't she? Hasn't you know? Ne Neve has been preparing her whole life for this job. <laughs> ben. Um. Ah, oh, look. I, 
it's it's probably too obvious, but the Prime Minister, you know, she, uh, Labour's overtaken National in the polls, you know, at least sort of 50% of the time. Um, the government's held together, not a foregone conclusion when you've got Labour, the Greens and New Zealand first. Mm. Um, she's become an international icon, you know, people travelling overseas are often, you know, uh, you know, hit up about our, our, our wonderful prime minister. Um, she she's done a um, a reasonably good job. Part part of the reason that I think that she would be you know still the outstanding figure is that over the last year we haven't actually seen many of the government's big programs actually really take off. We don't know enough about Kiwi Build to know whether it's mm. succeeding or not. We don't know enough about, for instance, the Napuhi negotiations to know whether it's uh, it's happening. The mental health inquiry has just reported back and there's another working group set up to respond to the working group before mm. anyone will ever actually make a fucking decision. And so it's, you know, we're still early days. So I think the Prime Minister for keeping it all together is probably the outstanding performer. On the trends, though... Um, you know, if just did a bit of maths, did you mean on the trends? On the trends. So this is in absolute terms. The prime minister has had the best year, um, but on the trend line, uh, by mid twenty nineteen, oh, Chris Farfoy will hold seventy five percent of the portfolios in cabinet. He'll still be outside of cabinet. By 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 election year twenty twenty, he'll be finance minister and governor general. Um, and you know, look, Farfoy is a pretty um, you know, he's a pretty good role model for a lot of politicians. Yeah. He, he wasn't marked for greatness. Um, he's done a very competent, yeah. solid job by applying himself to not particularly interesting portfolios. He's been a safe pair of hands, and now he's regarded as, you know, an almost stellar performer in this government. So, um, yeah, Fafoy is probably number yeah. two. Yep, well done, Chris Fafoy. Yep, good well cut. done. Um, look, that's a good point to end it on. We were going to talk about Santa, but we'll talk about him in January instead. What's your take on Santa? Do you want to know? Do it now, Annabelle. What was your take uh, on Santa? Apparently, I've become like the the, the media consultant for Maori Santa. Yeah, yeah. Just fighting with all the You're in the pay the, of the, the, the crackers out there yeah. who are so deeply offended by a brown man being mm. Santa. Get a life, people. What was your line though? Tell us because there was a you had a very good line on this. What did I say? Um, um, Shout out to all the old white guys out there who roll their eyes when Maori talk about things like tanifa and wahi tapu, but lose their shit when somebody transgresses the tapu nature of of. Their made-up hero. Of their imaginary friend, Santa Claus. (laughs) Hashtag Christmas crackers. Only a few people got that. (laughs) Only a few people got the hashtag. Um, uh, Tune in next year to Gone By Lunchtime where we'll read out more of our favourite tweets and um, engage in robust exchange without ever resorting to bullying. Thank you very much, Tina. Um, Thank you very much, Annabelle. Thank you, Ben. We'll be back in 2019. Squirties against the Flakies. Yeah. Which team are you on? (laughs) Kia ora. Kia ora e te iwi. Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.